If I were to put you on the spot right now and ask what one or two of the most defining moments in your life are, how would you respond? One or two of the most defining moments in your life. It might be something that happened when you were a child. It might be something that happened in college when you were a young adult. Maybe something that happened in the last week. But what are those moments that make you, you? What are those moments that kind of inform how you relate to other people, how you respond to the world, maybe even where you are at today? When I look back at my life, one of the most defining moments happened when I was in college. I went to Concordia in Moorhead. And when I went up to Concordia, I had a dream of singing in the Concordia choir. But the problem was I hadn't done a lot of formal choir singing. I sang in our church choir. That was kind of it. So it was kind of new to it all. So I went to auditions and tried out, and I got put in the freshman choir, and I was super jazzed about that. And then I found out, well, everybody makes the freshman choir. So, But it was an awesome experience. But I still had this goal of being in the concert choir because ever since I was a little kid, I remember going up to the Concordia Christmas concerts every single year and hearing the choirs sing. And it was because my dad was an alumnus, and he sang in the choir for many years. And so, you know, it was just kind of this goal I had. So at the end of freshman year, they started to talk about, well, here's the process to try out for the concert choir. You got to go into Dr. Clausen's office and sing for him. That's the first step. So I signed up, put my name on the list, and suddenly I was terrified because he has a bunch of Grammy awards and it was super intimidating. And I went into his office and he played a scale and said, sing this. And I opened my mouth and nothing came out. And it was really embarrassing and it did not go well. The next day I went and looked at the callback sheet and my name wasn't there. But I found out I got to be in the chapel choir. It's kind of the intermediate choir and it was awesome. Had a blast sophomore year. Got to the end of the year and they said, all right, it's time to audition again for concert choir. Went through the process, went into Dr. Clausen's office. Went pretty well. Next day I looked at the callback list. I was on it. Okay, now what comes next? Well, we had to go to the theater and go up on stage, all of the bases that were being considered. And then in the crowd, there were hundreds of people just there watching. Like, why would you want to watch this? Again, it's terrifying. What Dr. Clausen would do is he would take a green book LBW like we have here, and he would just open up to a hymn, and he would play one line. And then he would go down the line, and he'd say, you sing the fourth note. You sing the seventh note. You sing the ninth note. Well, it didn't go great. I didn't make it in. I got to go be in the chapel choir again. Great experience. End of junior year. I went through the process the same way again. And finally, as I stood on the stage, Dr. Clausen moved me over to being in the concert choir. And it was this incredible feeling of accomplishment. And you see, I look back at this whole kind of progression, and there was frustration, and there was disappointment, and there was fear. But also, I worked really hard. I took voice lessons, and I tried as hard as I could to get better, and finally it paid off. And that's been a really important lesson throughout my life. I had a bunch of friends who had the same goal from freshman year on, but they gave up along the way. And so I've always looked back at that as a defining moment in my life. What are some of those moments for you? I think we all have those moments. Some of them are good. Some of them might be bad and painful but they really do make us who we are. Now, imagine if I were to pass out a blank piece of paper to every person here, give you a pen, give you a few moments to diagram your life, graph your life on a piece of paper. 
I'm willing to bet there's not a single person here that would just draw a flat line. Right? Every one of us has ups and downs throughout our life. Every one of us has highs and lows. We have mountaintop experiences. We have valleys that we have to go through. Life is not the same. We go through all kinds of different experiences. Now, I think I know something about you. If you were to look at your graph and you were to look at those high points, those joys, those accomplishments, even those victories that you've had, I don't think you ever pray to God and say, God, why did you give me so many good things in my life? Have you ever prayed that before? Of course not, right? We're pretty comfortable when God blesses us. We feel pretty good when we're on those mountaintops. We don't question God. God, why are you so good to me? But on the other hand, I'm willing to bet that every person here has looked at some of those valleys some of those painful parts of life, and have cried out to God, God, why are you allowing this? God, where are you at? Why is life so difficult right now? Why am I facing these struggles? And it's in those moments that sometimes we question our faith even. It's in those moments that we feel sadness or we feel bitterness We maybe feel regret about some decisions that we've made. We just want to know, God, where are you at? Why are you allowing this to happen? Well, there's an amazing truth that Paul teaches us in the book of Romans. And it's a verse that many of you know, maybe by heart. And in this verse, what Paul tells us is that God is working in the good, the bad, and the ugly. Those high points, those low points, through it all, God is working for good. He says, we know that in all things, all right, not just a few, not just when he's interested, he doesn't check in and check out. We know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Now, I've read this many times in lots of different translations, and I've yet to find one that says, God will work things out the way I want them to be. I mean, wouldn't it be great if it said that? It's not that at all. It's God will work through all things in the way that he wants to. But it's for our good. And it will advance his purposes and his plans. You see, God has wired each one of us us up uniquely. What we've been talking about in the series that we're concluding today is that God created you on purpose for a purpose. It's no mistake that you are who you are, that you have these different qualities that God has given you. And it's no mistake that you're at the stage of life that you're at, in the place that you were at. You see, God made you who you are on purpose to accomplish a specific purpose. In fact, there are people in your life, people in your path that you are uniquely qualified to reach out to. There are people that need your help. They need your example. God created you on purpose for a purpose. And so during this series, we've been talking about an acronym called SHAPE. SHAPE stands for our spiritual gifts, our heart, which is really just what we're passionate about, our abilities, which are our natural talents, our personality, and our experiences. 
And so as we cap things off today, that's what we're going to focus in on, our life experiences and how God will use those together with all those other parts of who we are to help determine our purpose and to show us where we're called to serve him and to help others. Think of all the experiences that make you, you. Think of all the times that you've been through those ups and those downs and how they uniquely qualify you to reach out to others. God promises that he's working in all of them. With that promise, with that power, it's so important that we don't waste our experiences. It's so important we don't waste those experiences, but instead we learn to embrace them. Whether they're good, bad, difficult, easy, joys, sorrows, all of it. You see, we need to stop running from our past. We need to stop trying to cover things up or hide them away. Because the promise is God is going to use them for good. But isn't our tendency to try to put this tough stuff behind us, to try to deny it, forget it, keep it a secret? You know, as church people, we get really good at putting on a happy face, pretending like everything is okay. But God can use every single experience for good. The classic example of this is in the Old Testament. It's the story of Joseph. You remember Joseph, right? He had the Technicolor dream coat. He had a big musical. Yeah. <laughs> Joseph was the 11th of 12 sons of Jacob. But everybody knew, especially his brothers, that he was the favorite of their father. Super annoying to everyone, right? I mean, maybe you've experienced this in your family. You're like, I'm pretty sure my younger brother, my younger sister, my older, whatever, they're the favorite. You know, parents are always doing what they want them to do. But see, these brothers were so annoyed, they took it an extra step further, and they started plotting how they might kill Joseph. Hopefully no one got to that point in their sibling rivalries. Well, luckily, one of the brothers was kind of the practical one. His name was Reuben, and Reuben said, well, let's not take this too far. Let's not kill him. Let's just sell him. I don't know if that's a whole lot better, but they put him in a cistern, and eventually they sold him to some slave traders coming by. So Joseph was taken to Egypt, and eventually he became a slave in the house of the commander of the Pharaoh's army. Probably not a great place to be. He's definitely in a valley in life. Other things happen along the way. You can check it out if you read through the scripture on your own, which we hope you do. He ends up in jail at one point, some life and death experiences along the way. But eventually he's raised up and Joseph becomes the second most powerful person in the entire nation of Egypt. He's got a ton of power, resources, connections. At that same time, his family is struggling. There's a famine that goes through their countryside, and eventually they are so hopeless that they have to go to Egypt. When they come to Egypt, they suddenly recognize their brother Joseph, and he's in this really influential position, and they're freaked out. This is a perfect opportunity for Joseph to take vengeance, you know, to really make them suffer. But the story turns, and it's so unexpected. When they come before Joseph, Joseph says to them, don't be afraid. Great way to start. Don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? And here's the key. 
you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. All right, I've gone through lots of ups and downs, mostly downs. It hasn't been easy. It's taken a long, long time. But my perspective is God's using it for good. This is all meant to be. No, I'm not going to take revenge on you. I'm going to celebrate that God is working. And he set this up in just the right way. Joseph embraced his experiences. And he allowed God to work through them in God's own time. Well, I don't know about you, but I know for myself, I have a hard time, most of the time, having this type of attitude. Having a perspective like Joseph did. To see the bright side of God working through difficult circumstances and painful experiences. I mean, isn't it easier to be full of self-pity and bitterness instead of embracing God's victory and promises amidst those hard times? I mean, isn't it easier to question God's love and God's faithfulness instead of just trusting that he's got it all? You know, sometimes it's our past experiences that can keep us stuck in our faith journey. Sometimes it's even those difficult experiences that can turn us off from faith. God is bigger than any of our problems. God is bigger than any of our pain. And his purpose, his perfect purpose is so much bigger than anything we can imagine. And so really there's a question before each one of us today. Will you use your past experiences as an excuse to not step out in faith? Or will you embrace your experiences and fully trust God that he's working all things for good? Now, I think one of the most powerful, one of the most incredible ways we can use all of our life experiences is to use them to help other people. Now, Paul talked about this in Philippians chapter 1. So he's writing to this church, and he says, Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. Paul is saying everything that has happened to him, all of his life experiences, are worthwhile. They're all right, because they are helping to advance the gospel, which is his mission. Now, you need to remember everything Paul has gone through up to this point because he has not had an easy life. He was put in prison for three years. Then he was put on a ship back to Rome to a foreign country where he was going to stand trial. But on the way, the ship wrecks on an island and he's bitten by a snake. And then when he finally gets to Rome, he's put in prison again, but this is a Roman prison. It's not a luxury hotel. He actually is bound by the wrist to his guard 24 hours a day. And even amidst all of those experiences and more, Paul's saying, it's all good. God's using this to advance the gospel. I mean, I don't know about you, but I would put in my resignation letter to God at this point, Right? But Paul saw the bigger perspective, and he believed in God's promise. So our experiences, together with all the other parts of our shape, I think they help us determine our purpose. They help us see clearly who the people are that we're called to serve and reach out to. 
And I think there are three important biblical ways that we're called to help others through our experiences. The first is we are called to comfort others because of our experiences. 2 Corinthians 1 says, Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that Anytime you see those two words in scripture, circle them and pay attention so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. God doesn't just remove every trouble from our life. Instead, he's with us every step of the way. And he gives us all that we need to make it through And he's even able to bring good out of the most painful circumstances. God comforts us and he helps us and he strengthens us. But it doesn't stop there. The reason he does that for us is so that we can do it for others. God comforts us so we can comfort others. God helps us so we can help others. He strengthens us so we can strengthen others when they go through the same things. God wants to use every experience you've gone through to help someone else. I mean, think about it. Who better is equipped to help someone dealing with the loss of a spouse than someone who's already been through it? Same thing is true for addiction. Who's better to help someone in the middle of a painful addiction than someone who has been through addiction and come out the other side? Same thing is true for parenting struggles marital struggles, really any other struggle we might go through. When God brings us through the other side, who are those people that we can come alongside to comfort, to help, and to strengthen? I read an article once about a guy named Kevin Briggs. He's a California highway patrolman. But he's in this really specialized task force. It's called the Suicide Prevention Force on the Golden Gate Bridge. So what his job is, is he rides his motorcycle up and down the bridge looking for anyone who might be thinking about jumping. And so he's done this for many, many years, and he has saved hundreds upon hundreds of people's lives. Someone might see someone starting to climb over the railing, or he just sees someone who looks suspicious. And what he does is he pulls up on his motorcycle, he gets off, and he goes over, and he starts a conversation. Now, in his interview, he said the reason he believes he's effective at this is that he went through a very complicated uh, bout with cancer, and he's now a cancer survivor. And so he says, I know what it's like to be scared, I know what it's like to feel hopeless, and I know what it's like to be ready to give up. And so he said his strategy is just to help people see the promise of tomorrow. So the question he asks every person is, What are you planning for tomorrow? And if they don't have something, he said, let's just make a plan for tomorrow. And forget about everything else. Let's just make one plan for tomorrow to help them see there's still at least a little fragment of hope. And he says, let's make this plan. You can always come back here another time. But you see, he's uniquely using his experiences to help minister to others, and to even save lives. You see, God never wastes a hurt. He wants you to use your life experiences to help others. 
Now, this might even entail using things you're embarrassed about, things that you regret, things you'd rather not have anybody else know about you. God's able to redeem those things and use them for good. Number two, God wants us to use our experiences to encourage others. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5, encourage each other and build each other up. Doesn't it feel good when someone takes the time to encourage you? I think it's a deep human need we all have to have others invest in us and to encourage us. Hebrews 10.24 says, Consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. I love that little phrase, spur one another on. There are those times in life we need someone else to help encourage us, to help us take the next step and not give up. How can you encourage someone today? Cheer them on, motivate them, walk alongside them. I think it's your experiences that qualify you to do this. Your experiences might give someone else hope that they too can make it through. Because when people have hope, it's then they're able to overcome their fears. Now, I remember when we had our first child, our son Soren, when he was born, it was at Fairview Ridges Hospital down in Burnsville. And we had a townhouse by Burnsville Center. So if you know Burnsville, that's not very far away. I still remember when we finally were driving home from the hospital. You know, it's like one mile, but I was going like five miles an hour yelling at all the other cars to stay a couple lanes away. You know, we're like, we're in charge of a little baby human. Like, we have to keep this kid alive. I mean, how are we going to do this? And everything that happened, we're like, is this normal? Is this how it's supposed to be? Well, when our parents came over to spend time and our friends who had had children before, when they would come over and they would say, it's perfectly normal. This is what babies are supposed to do. Here's your next step. That encouragement was so valuable. You can help people. You can encourage people and help them see that it's going to be okay. You can help people see that in the moment, it might be full of pain or stress. There might be questions, but they're going to make it through because God is alongside of them and because you're a living proof of his faithfulness. Number three, I think we're called to use our experiences to model for others. Paul says in Philippians 3, dear brothers and sisters, pattern your lives after mine and learn from those who follow our example. Paul is telling this whole church in Philippi, follow my example. I'm going to be your model. Paul knew that every one of us needs people to model our lives after, people to imitate. I mean, if you think about it, for the first few years of our life, we learn almost everything through imitation. Now, of course, there is no perfect person. Paul wasn't perfect. We aren't perfect. Only Jesus is perfect. But there's nothing wrong with striving to be a model for others. I mean, isn't it better for people to imitate someone seeking to follow Jesus than some random celebrity or someone on social media? Did you know the word Christian actually means little Christs? As Christians, we are called to be little Christs to other people, to seek to follow Jesus each and every day so that other people can see what we're doing. 
You need to have models in your life. And God wants to use you to model following him for others. Show others what it means to rely on him, to turn to him each and every day. One of the most influential faith models in my life is my grandma Swanee. And I know some of you here even knew her. Now, my grandma Swanee's parents were missionaries from Norway to Madagascar, Africa. So that meant she and her siblings were born on this island off the coast of mainland Africa. What it also meant, though, is that they went to boarding school at a young age in Europe. So imagine little kids getting on a ship to go to school, not knowing if they'll ever see their parents again. In fact, one of our relatives found a letter this last year, and it was the letter that my grandma's mother wrote to her and her brother when they got on a ship to come to America to go to finish off high school. So I think they were 16 and 17 years old. And in the letter it said, if we don't ever see you on this side of heaven, have a peaceful and a loving life, follow God, all those good things, but maybe we won't see you again until the next life. And we noticed on this letter that there were these little watermarks, which of course were her tears as she wrote the letter, right? Can you imagine? Well, my grandma came over here, went to St. Olaf College, met my grandpa, who was an evangelist, and he traveled all over the world preaching the gospel. But it meant that he was gone for weeks and even months at a time. So she ended up raising four children, oftentimes by herself, with very, very little money. But even through all of those struggles, they had this theme song. My grandpa would sing it at his missions, and they would sing it together, and it was present in the home. It was the song, God is So Good. God is so good. Now, even when my grandpa dealt with cancer, they would still sing, God is so good. And every time you met my grandma, she would talk about how good God is, how faithful he is. And she never stopped expressing her thankfulness and her gratitude for who he is. Well, my grandpa died of cancer, and she still praised God every day. And when she turned 94, we helped move her into a nursing home. And every day she would go next door and she would read the Bible to a woman who was blind. Well, then when she passed away, she was buried next to my grandpa down in Northfield, Minnesota. And I absolutely love their tombstone. And I think I have a picture of it. You can kind of make out at the top, see the musical notes. God is so good. Even through a difficult life, many ups and downs, many struggles, it was a reminder, God is so good. Church, remember, God never wastes an experience, good or bad. He wants you to use your experiences to impact others. You know, throughout our lives, it's so important where we fix our eyes. You know, we might be tempted to just focus backwards at all the mistakes we've made. And we might be tempted to just turn inwards and just look at ourselves, feel disappointment. Or we might be looking at others, more worried about what other people think. But the Bible says to keep our eyes focused on the cross, to keep our eyes focused on Jesus, because Jesus went to the lowest of lows so that we could be lifted up to the heights. Jesus went to the cross so that we could have hope and never be hopeless again. And he came to redeem even the most lost 
of people. And it's Jesus who's able to bring good out of even the worst of experiences. Church, when you go home today and wherever you go this week, remember again and again the promise. God is so good.